Welcome to the 5 by your Quattro weekly source of rapid-fire board game reviews. In this episode, Sarah searches for a lost dog reward, Maple Lady shares some fun facts, John builds Zen Gardens in Ohanami, and Justin explores a new galaxy in wild space. But first, Aaron assembles manuscripts in Codex Naturalis. Hey, it's Aaron from GameEnthuse.com. Essentially, the rubric for this episode of 5 by Games podcast is games under $25. I thought about a game that I brought to the table fairly recently that definitely meets that requirement. And that game is Codex Naturalis. It's a relatively small box card game. The game was designed by Thomas DuPont with art from Maxime Morin. It's intended for ages 7 and up, 2 to 4 players, and should take about 20 to 25 minutes to play a full game. In Codex Naturalis, you are assembling the pages of the Codex Naturalis, which is the list of species of the four kingdoms that live in the primary forests. Yes, I'm reading that from the back of the box, but that's okay. Players are going to be playing cards with resources, some with objectives from their hands to create this manuscript. The components in the game are primarily cards, with the exception of a small scoring board and some wooden tokens, which represent players on the scoreboard and also will sit in front of the player on their starting card so that every other player can tell what color they are. The resource cards come in four different colors, uh, green for the plant kingdom, red for the fungi kingdom, purple for the insect kingdom, and blue for the animal kingdom. There's also gold cards. Gold cards are where the lion's share of points for most players will be coming from. Gold cards will have scoring conditions on lines of something like having three red resources in your manuscript. Many of three red are fungi resource icons that are visible. Put that card down on your turn and earn the whatever points that it dictates it would give you. Resource cards and gold cards also can be flipped over and they will just serve as a permanent resource of one of the four different kingdoms while also offering up four different empty corners for placement and layering on future turns. Starting cards have two sides. Starting cards have a front that has one of each of the four uh, resources in its corners, or you flip it on the back where there are four empty spots in the corners. However, in the center, there will be two permanent resources that can never be covered up. So it's either you start off with one of each that you'll eventually have to cover up, at least one, or you start off with four empty corners with two permanent resources. So you can kind of figure out how you want to start. There's also secret objective cards that are things that each player is trying to work on individually in terms of having a certain number of resources in their manuscript, having cards placed in a certain formation in their manuscript, having a certain number of symbols visible, the symbols being the quill, the inkwell, and the manuscript that are also things that can be found in corners on resource or gold cards. And then there's two communal objectives that are very similar to the secret objectives, different formations, different sets, the objects, the quill, the inkwell, the manuscript. Those are all just three different icons, a little quill pen, little inkwell, like a little scroll. Each player would start off with three different cards. Each player would figure out where they want to use the front or the back of their starter card, place in front of them with one of their tokens on it so other players would know what color they are. They would also place one of their tokens on the small scoring board so they know how many points they have. And everyone also knows as well. For the layout, there will be two resource cards face up, two gold cards face up. There's going to be two common objectives that anybody can fulfill, sometimes multiple times. And then every player will have their own secret objective. The first player is chosen at random. On your turn, you would place a card from your hand into your manuscript. Meaning you would place a card and layer it on top of one of the corners of your starter card. Or 
should the game continue on, any car with an available corner for something to be played. However, you cannot cover up more than one corner with a single card of anything in your manuscript. So you can't cover up half of a card. You can't cover up two corners of a single card with a single card, if that makes more sense. So on your turn, you would place a card onto one of the corners of another card in your manuscript, and then you would draw a card. Either you would draw another resource card or you would draw a gold card. And the whole goal of the game is to look at the gold cards, figure out how many icons you have, what's visible, what's not, and try to score points because whoever hits 20 points first triggers the end of the game. Once someone hits 20 points, everybody gets one more turn and then the game will come to an end. When I first played the game, I played it solo. There is an official solo mode that's not within the, the rules that come with the game. You can print them out. They're available on the website and it should be up on uh, BGG. Board game key. In the solo mode, the AI sort of builds up a tableau of cards, which also means that they have all those resources. You have to be cautious of what you do and don't take because you could be giving them something that means that they can score whatever gold cards happen to be visible that they meet the requirements for when it's the AI player's turn. I really did enjoy the solo mode. The game is even more fun when playing with other people. It can get a little frustrating when you really need a purple resource to get this five point card and nothing purple is coming up. So that's where you have to pivot. You have to be able to adjust what you're doing in order to fulfill the requirements. Despite its relatively small size, because you are building a manuscript and having cars that layer that are going to spread, I'm not sure if it's something that might be viable for the seat back tray on an airplane, but it's fun enough to where it's worth trying. Anyway, I'm Aaron from GameEnthuse.com, and this has been my review of Codex Naturalis from Luma Imports. That's going to do it for me. Thank you for listening. Take care, stay safe, and be blessed. $25. I'm just checking my notes here. The Fearless Collective of the Five Buys said that I had to pick a game for this month's show that cost $25 or less. It's like they didn't hear about that whole historically high inflation thing. <laughs> no matter. Let's see. I've got a small shelf of a few fillers that might cost less than $25. Uh, aha. Hey there, folks. Justin Bell here. Let's talk about Wild Space, designed by Joachim Tomei. This is a review copy that I received from the publisher, Pandasaurus Games, a couple of years ago. Normally I get samples like this for the writing I do at Meeple Mountain before I donate the games to friends or charities, but I still have Wild Space. Trust me when I say that this means the game is pretty good. Are you a sci-fi junkie? Or maybe you're a Trekkie? Wild Space might be right up your alley thanks to an abstraction of the best elements of the Star Trek shows, the crew. You see, Wild Space is a tableau builder, and your task is simple. Build the best collection of crew members over 10 quick rounds. Using a mix of cards from hand and a market of three face-up cards, you'll have the chance to move cute wooden spaceships onto a small selection of planet boards on each turn. Now placing ships triggers one of a small selection of actions. You could add cards from the market or play one from your hand. Sometimes there are restrictions on which types of cards can be played. Cards come in three flavors. Specialists, which make up the majority of the 102 card deck, emissaries, and robots. Both emissaries and robots provide ways to boost your endgame score. It's the specialists that serve as the heart and soul of Wild Space. Specialists are divided into six different species. Ah, 
I forgot to mention, this is an animal crew. And specialists are further divided into six different occupations, like engineers, pilots, and scientists. Most of the cards in Wild Space have an ability, and this is what gets the engines roaring. Play a lizard engineer with an ability to play a robot, and you get to play another robot card from your hand. And what if you can string together a combo that plays three, maybe four cards on the same turn? I love combos. I also love the artwork by illustrator Amelie Guinet in Wild Space. The finished tableaus have a nice amount of visual pop when it comes to table presence. It doesn't hurt that you can teach Wild Space to a seven-year-old. Now, I know this because my daughter and I first played this when she was seven years old, and she was able to pick up on most of the nuances required to win. In fact, now that I think about it, she did win our first game of Wild Space together. Anyway, endgame scoring is a snap. You'll add any points earned from your emissary and robot cards to the game's main scoring element, species set collection. You'll score points for each set of three or more cards of the same species, as well as a handsome bonus if you placed at least one of each of the six species into your tableau. A family-friendly, beautifully drawn game that plays up to five players that plays in under 30 minutes? Yeah, Wild Space is a lock, and it plays well at all player counts. Go out and grab a copy of Wild Space. And for more on my tabletop content, you can check out my profile at www.meeplemountain.com. That's M-E-E-P-L-E mountain.com. And as my kids like to say, I'm also on the socials, Instagram and Twitter, at Justin Bell Says. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-B-E-L-L-S-A-Y-S. Thanks for listening. Now get out there and roll some dice. You found a dog. Kind of a strange dog. And then someone found you. Someone who seems kind of shady? And badly wants the dog, and will stop at nothing to get it. That's the premise of Lost Dog Reward, a new downloadable RPG from Jason Morningstar and his company Bully Pulpit Games. Lost Dog Reward has simple rules. You choose characters for the dog, the villain, and the group that found the dog. There are printable cards for each option, and very simple flowcharts to help you decide. You can just choose characters that sound interesting, but the flowcharts are fun. And there's something nice about drawing a character you weren't expecting and maybe wouldn't have chosen, and seeing where it takes you. Once you have your characters, you decide who will play the villain and who will play the dog. Everyone plays the group together, which is the people who found the dog. I guess you could say that's the hero character, although in my plays, the dog usually ends up being the hero. There's no GM in Lost Dog Reward, but one player is tasked with keeping the action moving forward. Without a GM directing the action, you follow another flowchart to decide what scenes you'll be playing. It's not completely linear, you have some choices about what direction things will go in, but there are a few scenes that have to happen. The action player flips a card whenever there's a decision point to see whether the dog or the villain wins and gets to decide what happens next. And this is my only complaint about Lost Dog Reward. 
The rulebook says to spin the card wildly and see how it falls, and this never worked for us. I'm not even exactly sure what that means, but regardless, I was not able to spin a card I'd printed on my laser printer such that it would fall randomly. I guess if you sleeved it with something heavier, like a playing card between the two sides, it might work? But this is a minor quibble that's easy to work around. You could flip a coin, or if you have one of those table spinners, put it between the two options. I really love playing the dog. It allows me to hold up the dog card and say, hey, I'm a dog, over and over. This probably isn't nearly as entertaining to the others at the table, but hey, I'm a dog. Jason Morningstar is best known for the RPG fiasco, and while some of his games are on very serious themes, my favorites are funny, even silly, yet have genuine tension and high emotional stakes. Lost Dog Reward is among the silliest. Most of the dog characters have some form of supernatural ability, as do most of the villain characters. Choosing a villain means selecting personality traits like devious and arrogant or stupid and lucky. To make it more fun, the dog you choose actually dictates who the villains are. Are they government agents or crazy cat people or real-life vampires? And can I just say that playing stupid and lucky vampires who are desperately trying to capture a St. Bernard Ware dog is the best game premise ever? But Lost Dog Reward can have a serious side. The villains are after your dog, and nothing good will happen if they get it. The rulebook allows you to put anything really bad happening off the table if you want to. But the point of the game is that the dog is in danger. And if you choose not to rule out animal injury, mistreatment, or death, then those things could happen. If you're not okay with a dog, say, dying in an RPG, and I wouldn't be okay with that, then I'd recommend not playing this with someone who wouldn't respect the boundaries your table establishes. Likewise, I wouldn't play Lost Dog Reward with an alpha gamer. Like all GMless RPGs, it relies on a spirit of collaborative sharing from everyone at the table. It's easy for one person to take over a scene and start acting out everyone's part. Not necessarily because they're a jerk, maybe they're just excited about where the scene is going and got carried away. But in a game this quick, 30 to 90 minutes, I don't want to spend that time trying to wrestle control of my character back, and you probably don't either. So play Lost Dog Reward with people you trust, which is a good rule of thumb for RPGs in general. Lost Dog Reward is intended for three players, but I found it adapted well to two. You can scale the player count up as well, with the dog, three characters in the group, and an unspecified number of villains, everyone should feel like they have enough to do in a moderate-sized group. Lost Dog Reward came along at just the right moment for us. We got a dog just a month ago after not having one for over a year. It's just so serendipitous and fun to play a game about getting to know a remarkable dog while we're in the middle of getting to know a real live dog who's pretty remarkable, despite not having any superpowers or magical abilities that we know of. Now, does Lost Dog Reward have endless replay value? Not really. I could see playing it repeatedly on family game night, especially if you have kids who love dogs. The character concepts and scenarios do vary, but the core concept of the game is always going to be quite similar. This isn't your massive open world system with 80,000 different directions you could go in, and it isn't trying to be. It's a lighthearted, quick game about special dogs that only costs $4 from the bullypulpititch.io page. And that's Lost Dog Reward. My name is Sarah, and I'm proud of myself for getting through this review without saying, Who's a good RPG? You are! 
Look me up on Twitter or Instagram at Sarah Ovenall or on Mastodon at Ovenall at Dice.Camp. One game I've been playing a lot recently is Fun Facts. I was introduced to this game at my friend's game night a few months ago, and I immediately purchased it that evening. It's a great way to get to know other people, which is perfect if you've been attending more public gaming events or even casual in-person gatherings. It's a low-stakes trivia game where no one needs to know any trivia. It keeps everyone engaged, and it retails for about $25. Fun Facts, a 4-8 player party game, is designed by Casper Lapp and published by Repos Production. It's a cooperative game, but only in the sense that everyone's scores are collectively counted as one, and not that you're helping the entire group, quote, win the game. It feels like a successor to the popular party game Just One, which you haven't listened to 5 by reviews by Nicole in episode 56 or Mason in episode 102, go back and check them out. Just One and Fun Facts share similar elements, individual plastic pieces so players can write down their answers, dry erase markers, and a deck of cards with clues. But the similarities end there. Fun Facts is a true game about answering icebreaker questions. The gamey part of this game is how well you and others secretly compare yourselves to other people's answers. At the start of the game, give each person a dry erase marker and a plastic arrow and give the first player the start piece. The game plays over eight rounds with three phases within each round, answer, place, and reveal. During the answer phase, the first player takes a card from the deck and reads it out loud. Questions can range from how many pillows do you have on your bed? How old do you think you'll live to be? And what's the maximum amount you'll pay to visit a theme park with living dinosaurs? Which the answer should really be zero dollars because we all know how that ended up. Nature finds a way, people. Players then write a number secretly on their arrow piece without telling anyone what they wrote. Some questions require answers from 1 to 100, but for the most part, write down an answer that best answers the question asked on the card. The first player places their arrow face down with the number hidden. Then the place phase begins. Starting with the player to the left of the first player, they place their arrow face down above the first arrow if they think their number will be higher or below the first arrow if they think their number is under that. The next player to the left then will place their arrow but now they have three options, higher than both, lower than both, or place it in the middle of the two arrows. Gameplay continues until everyone has placed their arrow. Lastly, it's the reveal phase, when starting from the bottom of the arrows, you reveal each arrow by flipping them over one at a time. You remove any arrows that break the increasing numerical order, and afterwards you gain one point per correct arrow. The first player writes that number on the star and gives it to the player to the left of them, making that person the new first player. The game is pretty easy to explain and has a low barrier to entry. It's a type of game you can play with coworkers, family and friends, and gamers that you aren't well acquainted with. Fun facts is not good though for couples who all know each other. I played this game in that specific situation and there wasn't much of a challenge because you will likely know what that couple's answers are in addition to your partners. But for all those other situations, fun facts is so fun and engaging with slight tension during the reveal phase that can make the game so satisfying especially when everyone places their answer correctly for a very random question. For example, how many times have you watched the movie Titanic? This is one question we all cheered when we all answered in place in ascending order. And if you're wondering, my answer was two. At the risk of dating me, I watched it in the theater when it first came out and then later when it got to VHS. James Cameron really loves making very long movies, doesn't he? 
While I adore just one, that game can be dependent on the knowledge of English words. It isn't an issue most of the time, but every so often, I end up playing games with people whose first language is in English, and that can negatively affect the gameplay for just one. Fun facts, however, removes all those potential barriers, because you don't have to use your words to give unique clues. For fun facts, just pick a number, any number. And the most difficult part of this game is sizing up the other gamers or strangers and placing your arrow in the line. Fun facts is strictly the gamiest form of icebreakers, resulting in a fun evening of getting to know each other during game night. And that's fun facts. This is Meeple Lady for the 5 by. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok as Meeple Lady, or on my website, BoardGameMeepleLady.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! So, you've just finished vying over control for the planet Arrakis with your friends. The battles were intense, the card play was clever, and the trash talk was spicy. But game night isn't over, and everyone wants to keep gaming despite feeling a little brain burnt. Well, it's time to reach for something light, something quick to set up and play, not too much rules overhead, yet still engaging to be interesting while you chat. Might I recommend Ohanami? Hi friends, this is John Gonzalez here to talk about Ohanami from Pandasaurus Games. Ohanami is a card drafting game in which you are creating three different gardens over the course of the game by adding two cards at a time. Every round, you score for the different types of motifs, blue, green, gray, and pink. The cards feature lovely art from Christian Opperer, and they are numbered from 1 to 120 without any repeated numbers. Each player is dealt 10 cards from a freshly shuffled deck. Players then take a look at their 10-card hand and decide which two cards they will keep. The two cards you kept are placed face down on the table, and once everyone has selected their two cards, the cards are revealed and placed in either an already existing card column in front of them or in a new column. You're not allowed to place a card inside any of the columns, only at the top or bottom, meaning if you drafted a 61 and a 35, you could place them at the top or bottom of a column, respectively, but you can't interject either one of those cards into an already established column. So if you're hoping to play that 61 in between a 60 and the 62 cards you placed a few turns ago, well, you're out of luck. You could, however, take your cards and create a new column, and each player can create up to three of their own columns. Once all the cards that were drawn for the round have been drafted, the round ends and players score points. One of the interesting things about Ohanami's design is that scoring changes from round to round. Scoring at the end of the first round revolves around the blue motifs on cards in player columns. Each of those cards are worth 3 points, and that's all the scoring that happens during the first round. When scoring the second round, blue cards are once again scored, which is pretty nice. Additionally, cards with the green motif are now scored, and they are worth 4 points. During the third and final round, the blue and green motifs are scored, but now we also score points for the pink motifs. The pink motifs are cherry blossoms that, according to the rulebook, now bloom magnificently. While the green and blue motif cards are awarded a set amount of points per card, the pink motif cards award larger and larger amounts of points based on the number of cards collected. So you'd get 15 points for having 5 pink motif cards in your gardens, making them worth the same amount of points as the blue cards. But the point values escalate based on how many you end up with, maxing out at 120 points for 15 cards, making the pink cards worth about 8 points each. Yowza. The game ends after the third round, and the player with the most points wins. So, what does this all add up to? Blue, green, and pink motifs, cards in numerical order, columns of cards on the table, and drafting cards two at a time? 
Well, Ohanami is one of those games that feels breezy, is super easy to teach, yet offers enough play to make it interesting. There's a low rules overhead, which means it is a great game when you're looking for something chill. Conversations can take place while you play Ohanami. You can even zone out if you want to and contemplate the card garden in your hand. Take in the art on the cards as well. There are rocks, waterfalls, bushes, and cherry blossoms. Enjoy the sights. Relax. Of course, there's always players looking to hate draft. Hate drafting being that unspeakable yet hilarious act of purposefully drafting a card another player needs, even if it wouldn't particularly help you in any way. It's an unspeakable act when it's done against you, but hilarious when it happens to anyone else. I usually employ a tend to your own garden approach when playing drafting games, meaning I focus on what can bring me the most points and not necessarily what will hinder my opponent. Usually. But Ohanami is short enough that most people won't feel too slighted by a little hate drafting. One of the rules in the game was a bit perplexing to me. After players have drafted their two cards, they pass the cards to their left or right, depending on which round it is. But the rules state that the last player to pass on their cards must place their cards first, meaning there's a turn order to placing drafted cards. Simultaneous card placement seems like a more common approach to card drafting games. I'm guessing that this rule is supposed to keep in check players who hold off on placing the cards with the intent of watching how other players place their own cards. Maybe it's supposed to incentivize being quick with your drafting choices. Uh, it, it is possible that this rule and the turn order restriction it creates is meant to keep everyone honest or to prevent players from accidentally placing cards inside the card column instead of at the top or bottom. I'm not quite sure what the deal is, but I usually just have everyone place their cards simultaneously. But minor rules, questions aside, uh, yeah, check out Ohanami from designer Stefan Bendorf with art by Christian Opperer, and it's published by Pandasaurus Games. For the 5 by, I'm John Gonzalez. Find me on social media and Twitch as Book of Nerds. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the 5 by, your source for rapid fire board game reviews. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 5 by Games. Join our BGG Guild number 2810. Support our Patreon at 5 by Games. Listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit our website at 5bygames.com. Thanks for listening. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com.